Hey everyone, welcome back for season three of the Age Sister podcast. This season, we're going to keep exploring the issues around midlife and older women at work. So let's get started with today's guest. Hey everyone, today I've got Darcy Eckenberg on the show. She's the author of Red Cape Rescue, Save Your Career Without Changing Your Job. And she and I talked about strategies to get more of what you want without drastic measures like leaving your job or changing your career completely and how to do it without sacrificing your health or your family life. Enjoy. So welcome, Darcy. Oh, thanks so much for having me, Kate. It's great to have you. You know, I I always start my podcast the same way, and I love to ask people, how did you come to doing the work that you're doing today? Well, like most people, uh, I came to it through a couple different steps. So uh, the work I'm doing today is I'm an executive and leadership coach, and I also speak and write on a regular basis. And for me, I never imagined that this would be the career that I would have. Um, I was, uh, I worked in a professional services firm. I pretty much grew up there, uh, went from being the person who would follow people around to the person that people would want to go to meetings and events and things with, and uh, really felt great about the organization I was working with and all the opportunities I had gotten there. And then I tell this story in in my book. One day my boss called and told me she was going to retire. And I realized not only was I not getting that job, but it's not a job I wanted next. And so suddenly after years of growing in this company, I all of a sudden had to ask myself the hard questions like, what do I want now? And I never had stopped to think about it. And I, I didn't know what was next. So that's when I hired my first professional coach. And at the time, you know, the coaching profession is the wild, wild west. And, you know, who knew exactly what a coach was? Maybe we'd seen one on Oprah or something that's dating me from my you know TV taste. But, um, but what that taught me was that there's a whole world of professions that were around helping other people be better, uh, helping other people find their potential and get clear of what they want and build their confidence. Um, so I actually had the opportunity to create a coaching program right in the company where I was, and it helped me recognize this was the work I wanted to do ongoing. And so um, shortly after that, after having a great opportunity within my longtime company, I was able to go out on my own and start doing this work full time. And I haven't looked back since. It's been a terrific ride. Wow. Wow. And the work that you're doing today is so interesting, just in terms of this idea of helping women or people in general stay in the workforce if they want to stay in. So as I understand it, and it It sounds like one of the areas that you focus on is this idea of people leaving their jobs too soon. And I know, as you probably know as well, that there's been this huge um, exodus of women leaving the workforce during the pandemic, and especially women in leadership positions. So can you talk a little bit about that concept of leaving too soon and how that applies to women in midlife and beyond? I think that we often mistakenly believe that 
we have very little control in our lives at work. And there's so much that surrounds us that adds to that perception, right? We even have language that shifts us out of control, like, oh, another day, another dollar, or work. Oh, it's not personal, it's just work. But the truth is that all work is personal. And as human beings, one of the things that we know from a lot of the brain research is that everything ties to our emotion and how we feel. We don't make decisions based on logic first, we make them based on how we feel. And when we don't feel that we're in control, which is a basic human need, which is a basic human need for safety, it's you know it's something our brain responds to, we feel like our only option is to leave. It, it's easier when things are broken, when things aren't working, just to go. And so, there are certainly times I never want to be misinterpreted as somebody who's saying, ah, stick it out, you know, suck it up, suffer along, because that's not the game. But what I hear so often for people who think their only option is to leave is that they're missing all the nuance in between to take back control of their life at work. And there really are only three things any of us control. We control what we think. We control what we say and we control what we do. And that's it. We can't control other people. We can't control the economy. We can't control, you know, even people in our own household. But when we recognize that these are the three levers I have. So is there a different way of thinking about this? Is there something I need to say or stop saying? Is there something I need to do or do differently or one of my favorite strategies right now to teach and work with women leaders on is what things do I not need to be doing? Where can I drop some balls? Where can I just stop doing all the things? Um, and I think that when, when we have a new realization, a sort of a fresh realization that I don't have to keep playing the game in the same way that the rules have been written before, that I have more agency, I have more control than I'm giving myself credit for. And then I think we can find ways to make our current work work better for us, as opposed to thinking that our only option is an early retirement or to abandon the workforce altogether, which as we know, can have long-term reverberations for, for people, for families, for communities, and just even for how we run the world, if women are stepping out of it, then what's left? Um, what's left is some of the things that we have, and we can see how that's working. So I want more women leaders to be able to stay but still get what they need in our world of work. Yeah, yeah, it's such a good point. And I love that idea that work is personal. I wonder about the the pressures, some of the things that I hear about most often is this idea of having, you know, especially women in midlife living in that kind of sandwich generation where you're, you know, maybe you're caring for teenage kids or your kids are about to leave home to go off to school and you've got maybe elderly parents that you're also caring for. You've got a million things that you're responsible for. Do you have any advice for women in terms of how they manage those kind of things while still, you know, showing up in their jobs? I think we forget sometimes that we all have seasons of life 
that the state that we're in now is likely not the state that will be long term. So we're raising young kids or we have elder parents or both or something's changing in our our spouse or something's changing in our health. And I think where we often opt for I can't work or I shouldn't work because these things are more important. These things are important. Your family, the things that you value, the things that are that are confronting you that need your attention. We need to create the space for those things and not feel like we're shoehorning them in to everything else that's loud and yelling at us. But I think that there is a way to recognize if we do need to step out for a while and do intense focus on getting our parents set up in with with better care processes or managing that transition of my high school student to become a college student that we can take you know longer breaks than we're used to but not step out altogether and just cross our fingers that we can just step back in naturally. Um, I, I think it, 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 there are options, but we have to be able to communicate it and not feel like we, no one wants to hear that we've got things going on at home. Everybody has things going on at home. Um, I think the more that women make the invisible visible in terms of all the other work that's on their plate, the more help we can get. Often I think that especially women who have moved into bigger levels of responsibility in the workplace are also taking on a heck of a lot of responsibility at home and are reluctant to ask for help or sometimes don't know what kind of help that they need. But asking for help and defining the help that we need is a skill, is a, and that's, it's a skill that can be built and it's a muscle to build. And I think we have to make it acceptable for each other to like, we need to ask for help. That's not weakness. That's actually strength. And you're actually inviting someone else in, um, you're giving them an opportunity to do something when you ask for help. So I, I think they're recognizing that it doesn't have to be an all or nothing equation. It can be, maybe I do need six weeks to be able to, be focused on this transition or to, or maybe I need three months. Um, and to ask if that's the case to do that, but to just say, this is, this is the state of my life right now. And so I can't manage anything else. We also, we forget that there is so much in our work lives that shifts and changes and we can, we have more control than we think about when we turn the volume up on things or when we turn the volume down on things. And, but that comes with the self-awareness of maybe there's some great stuff going on at work that I don't want to miss. And I might not be in the place right now in my career where I can maximize that. So I'm just not, I'm going to say no to that opportunity that requires a lot of travel. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just going to make an active choice and trust that because I'm still in it, I'm still contributing that there will be other opportunities for that. But we're our own worst enemies sometimes in just trying to do everything and do it to such a standard that we don't give ourselves the space and the grace to be able to say, hey, there are seasons in life 
where some things are major and other things are minor, and those things can shift. And over the course of a long life, a long career, the, 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 a smaller blip in time, even a few months, is just a blip in time. But if we totally close, close a door fully, it, it may not be the right decision for us. Sometimes it could be, but I always like to see that people have done the strategic thinking, asked for what they need to make sure that they're not making assumptions about what's possible or what's not. Mm, that is such great advice. I love this idea of bringing the invisible to be more visible. I just think that that's one thing that, you know, a lot of us are struggling along in silence. I wonder from the employer's perspective, because we have employers that listen to this podcast, and I'm thinking about maybe some advice for how employers can support women at this time of life when there are so many pressures to maybe help them from not making that decision of something's got to give and the first thing to go is going to be the job. This is a tough balance. And whenever we talk about employers, I always like to remind ourselves that an employer is a human, right? I mean, even you might not own the company, but a manager is one person. A leader is one person. Um, employers are us, right? Like, you know, so, so we're really talking about having better conversations around the things that we need that help make us productive, successful, however we define success. And so I think that if you're the boss, you know, you're the manager, you're the supervisor, you have people that are working for you. You know, we, we, we've created a double-edged sword in some ways, because if I know I have a, a working mom um, or a young mom, a new child, or, you know, I know that they're, their mother just went into hospice or then there's that line of, I, I, I can be a caring human being, but I don't want to feel like I'm invading their privacy or exposing more of what's going on with them personally than they feel comfortable with. So I think there is a new skill for managers to be able to, so most managers then opt to just do nothing. Cause it's like, if they need something, they'll bring it up. You know, I, it's a, I don't want to touch it. I don't want to feel like I'm potentially discriminating against somebody. Um, and especially if we have gender differences so or age differences. So you know, human beings are, we're a complicated mess of people, right? Um, but this is why, this is why work is personal. Um, so I think we have to think about the individual. Increasingly, I think we've seen through COVID Management is not, management doesn't scale. You can't do one thing that fits for everybody. I think you have to think about what does this person need? What is my relationship with this person? Um, what's the conversation that needs to be had? So maybe if you are observing behaviors, you are observing stress, especially as a manager or a leader, if you are observing a change in behavior, you know, these are, these are the flags. And often we talk ourselves out of seeing those flags instead of trusting our intuition of saying, you know, I'm not going to speculate on what's going on here. I don't want to make assumptions, but what I'm seeing visibly is I'm seeing and hearing a, a change in behavior. And so that's worth holding up a mirror to. That's worth saying, Hey, Kate, 
you know, I'm, this is just what I'm noticing. I just want to check in, make sure you know, how you're feeling about how things are going. And then it's like keeping the question open, shut up, shut up, shut up. Too often we're trying to give the company line and we're saying, oh, well, um, so if you need me, I'm here, tell me anything. But by the way, here's these five things that we haven't done yet. But I think that creating that space for more open conversation, but we can point, if we can point to specific behaviors or conversations um, without judgment, you know, without saying it's good or bad. I mean, unless obviously if it is bad, if it is getting in the way of something, we think we've got to be honest with people, but we can also offer help too. It's like, Hey, I've noticed that you're always about 15 minutes late to the meetings. And you know, our, our, the old school way is to say, don't do that, be on time. But I think in these days, we just got to stop for a minute and say, so I know, you know, we like to be on time for the meetings. Help me understand what's going on. And then shut up, shut up, shut up so that you listen and create the space. And, you know, the challenge with what's happening right now as we are an employer, a boss, a supervisor, a leader, supporting uh, a working woman, you know, a woman with who has other challenges they're managing at home, is that that takes time. But in the long run, that investment of time helps everything else go faster. But because we're going so fast and we just cross our fingers and we just hope it's going to work out, you know, or that the, the other person will figure out what to do. We, you know, we don't intervene, I think, sometimes soon enough to create the, the permission, the invitation that it's okay to ask for help. It's okay to change things. And even then, I have a, a client that I've worked with who recognized in hindsight that all along her boss was offering to help adjust her workload it was all, all along like on her side, but she just didn't trust it for herself until she found herself in the hospital with, you know, on the border of a heart attack. And it was like the kick upside the head. And sometimes as a boss, we're not, our interventions are not going to work. I mean, again, all we can control is what we think, what we say and what we do. And so if we're, if we're thinking, hmm, something smells like it's going on here, I'm concerned or I'm worried or I'm frustrated or whatever I'm feeling, to be honest with it. But then to say, what can I, what can I say? Is there something I need to say here or some, stop saying? Is there something I need to do here or stop doing? And even just doing the reach out, you can't control whether someone else is going to take the help or is going to share their story with you. But, you know, you can control the fact that, Okay, I'm there. I'm consistent, um, and and I you know, and I'm genuinely there to be able to, to support somebody and understand what's going on, even if it's not my shared life experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think about the the other side of that when you were talking about, you know, having all all those balls in the air and maybe thinking about dropping some of those balls, and when we think about how women sometimes cover up what's going on, you know, that it's more difficult for our managers to see when things are going on at home and 
when we have all these additional stressors. If we go back to thinking about how women are managing all of those stressors and trying to keep all those balls in the air, again, do you have any advice for women who just are seeing all of it as being so important? I think it's a really good exercise to recognize what is the thought that you're having about the different things? Because sometimes all it takes is the second to change our thought. Instead of saying, God, I'm a bad mother or if I don't make lunches fresh as opposed to give my child some money to buy lunch at school or whatever those standards are that we're holding ourselves to, uh, we can change our thought on that. We can change our thought to even, you know, to, to even, to even say for now, this is, we're going to do it differently for now for the next three months. I'm going to release the expectation that we're doing this, this, or this. Um, and the brain plays tricks on us. And, and there's actually some great research, um, the book called Positive Intelligence by uh, Stanford professor uh, Shiraz Shamin. And, um, and he talks about the saboteurs and these, these assumptions that our brain makes. They're, they're essentially biases. But one of those biases is that that voice inside your head that that beats you up, that says well, you're not good enough or you have to do that or they're going to catch you if you don't do that. That is not keeping us safe. Um, I mean, it's 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 actually getting in our way. It's actually the saboteur voices. Um, we think that they're trying to protect us from making mistakes or what have you, but all they're doing is pulling us back and making us smaller. And so this is where choosing our thoughts carefully, being able to know that we can control our thoughts, recognize when that first instinct comes up that says, man, that email came across and you know, this leader is mad. I need to take care of it instead of saying, take a beat, let my team handle it. You know, what's the bigger thing at play here? What's the most important thing that I need to do here? And, and to recognize there are a lot of balls that come our way that maybe actually just need to bounce and sit on the floor and just stay there. And for us to point out, yeah, there's some balls on the floor because they may not be ours and our tendency often, and especially for high performing, high achieving women, our tendency is to feel like we have to clean them all up. We have to hold them all. We have to sponge them all up. But when we do that, it actually can be a detriment, not only to our stress, to our time, to us doing the work that's our best and highest work, but also when there's no balls laying around un unjuggled, unhandled, there's no sign to leadership, to executive management that there's any problem to be solved. So when we're sucking it all up, when we're handling it all, what happens is that it looks easy to, to the point about making the invisible visible. It looks like, well, you got it. So why would I hire? Why would I, why would I offer help if you're not asking for it? You know, even if you think passively you are, oh, I've got so much to do. Oh, I worked all weekend. 
don't do that. Like if that's a boundary for you, hold those boundaries and figure out what needs to be dropped. And I think that's one of the new skills that rather than thinking the only way to get free of the situation is I just, I just have to leave. I just have to quit. All jobs are like this. All corporate work is like this. All whatever work is like this. I just have to leave the workforce is to recognize maybe it's, maybe there's things I can do. Maybe there's things I'm assuming that have to be done that in exchange, you know, if, if the choice is I'm not here at all versus I'm here doing a third of this, you know, wouldn't your company rather have you doing the third that's most important and dropping the other two thirds that doesn't really make that, mm-hmm. that much difference in the business. But we make assumptions a lot of times for people and we pick up all the balls because we feel guilty that they're there staring at us. And it's like, Oh, that will just, Oh, that'll just take a little bit of time. They all add together and they all add up. So we need to learn how to drop some balls. Mm-hmm. I hear in there that you're giving us permission to not be so hard on ourselves. Uh, I think that a lot of women, I mean, I love that example of, you know, that you've got to make this really fresh and nutritious lunch for your child on top of everything else, right? We're trying to do 10 million things to the highest level. Do you think that the there's an element in there of women really caring about how other people are judging them? Or do you think it's more about them judging I think themselves? If, if we were able to have the magic tap into, into people's brains, I think we would find that my anecdotal mm. feeling is that we are more worried about we're, we're judging ourselves, but we're often doing it through the lens of others. Um, mm-hmm. Because I, mm. I wish we taught this in school that this is just how the brain works, that the brain is designed to to anything that's uncomfortable, anything that's new, anything that um, that you know, it sparks fear, it sparks protection, it wants us to pull back. But those skills, the same skills in the same part of our brain, um, amygdala in the front of the brain that used to, that used to trigger when we hear a tiger roar, it's the same thing when we hear our boss roar, you know, it's the same physical response today. And yet I think that we don't always recognize that you know, we're just falling for kind of those old patterns. And if we can learn to talk back to the brain, I call it, you know, conquer the battle of the brain, you know, then it's easier to recognize when am I my own worst enemy versus I'm worried about other people judging me. And I think too, there's a mindset shift that I know has helped a lot of my clients. It's back to the feeling of, I can't control anybody else. All I can control is how I show up. All I control is how I'm prepared or what I'm thinking or what my intention is. And so I think a lot of our stress and I think a lot of energy and burnout happens when we're trying too hard to anticipate every single possible consequence that could happen from the things that we do instead of recognizing that we, you know, we take the action we need to take. We have no responsibility for what happens next. 
if we've done it in good faith. And then whatever comes back, it could totally surprise us. But then, okay, great. Our foot's on the next rock. And then we make decisions from that rock. And then decisions on that rock might lead us to stretch and go to the rock on the right or might take us to the left. But we can't really anticipate all of the possible steps. And, you know, this is just our fear talking that we, we want to know where it's going to go. We want to know how to get to whatever the next thing is. And it, life just doesn't work like that. But so if we build more confidence in ourselves that say, okay, I know these are the things I can control. I'm just going to keep staying in motion, you know, following, I always often say emotion puts us in motion. So, you know, when I feel that emotion, no matter what it is, fear, worry, could be excitement, could be happiness. Like how does it put me in motion so that I take control and then respond to, okay, what's happening from that? And I learn and I adjust. Um, but we are our own worst enemies in some ways. But I, I would encourage people to recognize that doesn't have to be. Those negative voices and the things we're telling ourselves, you would never tell your friend. You would never, you would rarely even tell a total stranger who bumped you on the subway. You wouldn't speak that nasty to them. Uh, why do we do it to ourselves? And I think it's a muscle we have to build. Yeah, absolutely. This is all such great advice. As always, I feel like I've uh, had a great coaching session speaking to you. And uh, I want to know more about your company. It's called a Red Cape Revolution. What does that mean? Good question. So Remember when you were a kid and you would grab a towel or a sheet and you throw it around your shoulders and you felt confident, you felt in control, you know, even if it was just the backyard. And so thinking about that image got me thinking, what if we could feel that way every day in our lives at work? What would change then if we had that red cape feeling, if we felt like we were confident, if we felt like we could soar through whatever was going on? And so that really became the anchor for a lot of the work that I do with individuals, private coaching, as well as teams and other leadership groups, boards, um, to really say, how do we make our work work better for our lives? Uh, instead of having to adjust our lives for our work, you know, how do we have that red cape feeling? How do we feel like we're the hero in our own lives at work? You know, and and how do we come and use our superpowers to be able to make the contribution that we really are longing to make? So that's the nature of the the name of the company and a lot of the red cape imagery that you know, that we use. You can't kind of look at that and say it without throwing your shoulders back a little bit and, and, you know, feeling like, yes, you can do things. You can do more than you think. Love that. So if our listeners wanted to find out more about your work, where would they go? So there's a ton of information at redcaperevolution.com. But one of the things that I've done for years is every single week, I send a little, uh, you know, I call it my insider community. It's kind of a, 
a story, uh, but usually there's a tool or another idea for you to go and apply in your work. And people can sign up for that for free at redcapeinsider.com. And then you're part of my insider community. And, you know, we have a little visit in email every week. And it's a great way to stay in touch. That's fantastic. I'm definitely going to go and sign up today. And I'll make sure that we have those links in our show notes. So thank you so much for coming on the show today, Darcy. That was just such a great conversation and great information that you provided. Oh, and thank you, Kate, for what you're doing. I think it's an important group that we make sure that women who are later in their life but still have a lot of life to go are recognizing that they don't have to quit. They don't have to opt out. There's a lot. They have a lot more power when they realize how much they actually control. So thank you for what you're doing. Thank you. Take care. Bye now. Thanks for listening to the Age Sister Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure to rate and review the episode on your favorite podcast app. We'll also be posting the show notes and any other important information at www.cardeahealthconsulting.com.